The secret of life is eat as much peanut butter as you can, protect your big brother from no good women, and listen to In the Corner Back by the Woodpile every day. <laughs>
and that was just buried in her brain and she ultimately decided she wanted to be a fashion designer and the dresses that she ultimately created were phenomenal and they were the just most gorgeous elegant evening dresses she said that that's what I wanted and here I am and so this great story you know poured out of her and um, when I went to interview her at her studio uh, she had leggings and a big denim button-down shirt on so not elegant at all and I don't think she had a stitch of makeup on but just very real and very down-to-earth and I really enjoyed her so I got back to Nashville and I wrote up the article about her and I had all these great photographs of her gowns and you know pictures of her in the studio and and I thought the piece turned out really well and I was really happy about it and then it ran right before her trunk show and then I met her at her trunk show and she would not speak to me she wouldn't look at me, she wouldn't speak to me, she wouldn't talk to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I have, I have offended her some way, I have no idea what I've done, but, and then I was destroyed. I was like, I've done something, I have no idea what, and her PR representative was there, and he was the guy I had initially set the interview up through, and so I pulled him aside, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what to say to her, I don't know I mean, what do I need to apologize for? Just let me know. And he said, why are you asking that? And I said, because she won't talk to me and she won't look at me. And he's like, no, you don't understand. You're the only person that's ever told her story and got it right. And she had never seen her story in print. She'd never seen her life presented and her mission and her goal. And it made her, her ball. Wow. She, she, so so she's, she was going to cry if she talked so to you. So she was so overcome with emotion uh -huh. that she couldn't talk to you. And he said, that's what it's all about. And I'm like, oh, oh, crap. Uh, okay, now asked. I got it. And um, so then I just went up to her when I could get her alone and just gave her a big hug and said, I'm glad you like the story. And she's like, I love the story. Oh, I love the story. And then we wound up going out to dinner, I think, that night. So that's an example of I thought that my words completely screwed up and like right. you know they flew somewhere off right. really negative so you don't really ever know the impact of your words that's true sometimes maybe they didn't fall in despair we may never see the results of them and you may you may be up on somebody's fridge in their house yeah and you may never know it right but those words that you said at that poetry event or that she wrote down for an article may have resonated with somebody and that was their mantra right. for that time Again, words, they fly through the air. Ones that find not an ear fall to the ground. They die in despair. I like that. And I don't know why. Actually, I do. One of my hobbies is actually writing short stories and poetry, but you know, I keep it all to myself because for me it's kind of like an outlet. So they don't find an ear. They don't find an ear. And I think it would give them more merit if they did. Let me rephrase. Um, I have shared some of my stuff with former friends and partners, and, and I've just never done anything professionally. But they like the things I wrote, but for the most part, most of it is just on scraps of paper hidden away in my filing cabinet or somewhere deep in the file structure of my computer. I mean, if you think of the value of a word, it's words are meant to be written or you know seen or, or heard and somehow internalized. The whole reason for speech is it's always meant for someone else's ears, even prayers. Yeah, and the, and the person saying the prayer believes that it's being heard. Yes. 
And so that, I think that's the value in it. Just if they thought they were just speaking to an empty room, it probably wouldn't be as as healing or have. And words are fun. You probably got that already. I'm a little bit verbose, and it, and it carries over. And <laughs> yes, I did. Every every, every aspect <laughs> of my life. And so, I mean, wasn't Emily Dickinson? Wasn't she like not read until after her death? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what I was thinking when you said you had bits of notes stuffed everywhere. Because I think they kept finding her poetry written on bits of paper, you know, stuffed everywhere. I mean, obviously, in the end, they didn't die in despair, but at least in her lifetime, they did. Uh, you know, maybe had she been acknowledged for her thoughts a little bit earlier, maybe it wouldn't have been such an untimely demise. I, I don't know. But you're not at that point, are you? No, no, no. Because <laughs> okay. we can make some calls. Again, words. They fly through the air. Ones that find not an ear fall to the ground. They die in despair. The thing about words is that we take it as granted that language is an adequate medium for articulating the fidelity of the human experience. I was cleaning my bathroom the other day and I was down in the tub and I was trying to figure out how to get up under the faucet. I can't remember exactly the details about what was going on, but I finally, I figured it out, like the, the brush to use, and in my mind, this diet, this sort of narrative started, aha, I figured it out, you do it like this, and there was words that I could hear in my mind, and I thought, those words are not the actual information. Those words are a crude approximation of the information. If you were living in a pre-language society, it wouldn't be about describing it. You literally would just show your friend the action and the tool. Um, so I say that to, to just to illustrate that words are always going to fall short. And I think the closest you'll ever get is poetry, but it's still just hinting at this part that doesn't really fit into words. I think it's a real problem, this general consensus that words are adequate. And that in combination with the fact that since the 1970s, our grasp of language has been decreasing. I'm not exactly sure what all is behind that, but it's clear if you read something from 40 years ago and now. I watched a clip of Mr. Rogers recently on YouTube, and there was a two-minute still shot of a faucet that was taken apart, and the guy's describing to Mr. Rogers how to put the gaskets in, and I just think that was little kids watching that. So, of course, by the time that we reached adulthood mm -hmm. the fidelity of our language was way more but I'm not even convinced that the words at their most deft employment yeah. will do it I've deactivated my cell phone before for yeah. up to a year had the number ported over to a landline got an answering machine it's an amazingly different brain space to walk out of the house not just I'm gonna leave my cell phone home today I don't own a cell phone Sitting at a stoplight, do you know how many thoughts you miss out on because you're checking your Facebook notifications?
again, words. They fly through the air. Ones that find not an ear fall to the ground. They die in despair. Being heard is so important to me. Well, you're a poet. And it's not just that. Um, a lot of the rising call to poetry for me was feeling the strength in other people claiming their space and speaking their voice. And I, if they're so bold as to do that, not that we need permission, but it gives permission. Like, oh, okay, this person is occupying their space and speaking their voice and showing clearly that only they can represent that. And that means they're not trying to occupy my space, and I might even be able to do that myself now. I, I feel like we would all be very comforted if we really knew the ugliness going on inside each other's heads. I feel like a lot of what we feel divides us from each other is actually what we have in common and that nothing is dark when brought to light and if we're all just honest about what's going on and we have that resonance with somebody else like, oh, me too? That's worthwhile. I mean, what did we come here for if not to connect? Why bother talking unless, you know... Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, it's, I can't. I can't think outside of vacuum. So I think about our times right now, and one thing is this sensation of being offended, even if someone's just being totally honest about their yes. own shortcomings, the things they're struggling with, or just their gut reaction to something. Right. Uh, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, that, that's the filter, right? We're all looking through these different filters based on past experiences and expectations, what we think something's going to be preconceptions we have about a person and what their stance might be. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people fake offense because they feel like they should be offended because that's the proper thing to do. You know, that is not proper. Showing your breasts in public is not proper. Uh, and uh, this is ludicrous stuff to me. When we get down to priorities, it, it seems so clear to me. So what do you think that is? That to being offended. Well, I'll ask you that. What do you think it is, one, and do you ever find yourself getting offended? Mm, how offended. Do you deal with it? If someone is mean to me on purpose, that that's a way to get me. I'm really working on that lately, though, because I, I mean, I know hurt people hurt people. It's just more difficult to put that into practice mm. than I expected. Mm. You know, you want to defend your own viewpoint, defend your viewpoint. Especially, I feel like a lot of folks are defending what it is they're hiding. You know, that precious, tender, vulnerable part. The thing that they've been told is weakness. So you're saying when people are getting offended, they're defending their own weakness. Is that what you're I do think so. I think, I think it's a soft spot. I think it's a nerve. And if there wasn't a sore spot there, they wouldn't be up at arms so quickly. You know, someone has trampled them or perhaps they've trampled themselves in an attempt to fit in. And there's that peer pressure of we've all got to go along with this. We've decided if you opt out, then the whole illusion is blown. And then I have to question everything I've ever believed. And that's a really painful process. Next quote, I stopped living for yesterday when dreams began punctuating life. That's the perfect embodiment <laughs> of thinking that you're getting somewhere and, and realizing that you're totally nowhere. Right. <laughs> At every turn that, that you've been... You're not totally nowhere. I'm so amazingly nowhere. I, I am out in the desert. If I was to, to rattle off your resume, 
people think, man, that guy's done something. Yeah, I've been fired by by some of the best. You know, there are some really well-known people who do not well, return my phone <laughs> call. I may know the number, All right. but it doesn't mean they call me back, you know. Okay, so let's, let's analyze this a little bit. Okay, you have, I'll go ahead and say, you've played guitar for... I can think of uh, Michael McDonald, uh, no small feat. When you were up there behind him playing, and I know it was just one time. That was just one off. Did yeah. you think like, man, I've I've arrived? And then afterwards, did you feel like you still had arrived? Or those kind of things are fun if they come off well. And and that one came out fine. That's all good, you know. So what's it, your dream then? What is my dream? Yeah, that, I mean, you seem is, like you're living it somewhat. Yeah, I, I know you have to hustle. Yeah. To. Keep it afloat, but... I just play till the chicks throw the room keys. Mm-hmm. You know, then I know it's okay. <laughs> then we can call it a night. Okay. You know? And I'm not afraid to play for 36, 48, 72 hours straight if if, mm-hmm. if that's what it takes to get something happen until, you know, granny throws the room key or something. <laughs> I think if you can get through the gig and not have people giving you the stink eye... So it's almost... Well. You're saying you almost don't want to be noticed. Well, it, it depends on what you... If you're talking about being a side guy... You know, there's an element of that which is kind of offensive lineman mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, you only see it when there's a problem, when it's right. holding on a on the 90-yard run. You know, it's like, oh, that guy who mm-hmm. whose name we never knew uh, cost us a <laughs> touchdown, you know. So it's like that. If you flub something in the middle of the beautiful Celine Dion power ballad, you uh-huh. know, it's, it's ugly, you know. Did you play for Celine Dion? No, no. You played some of her songs? No. No, no, no. So why'd you give us an example? Well, but because it, she sings big power ballads. Oh, okay. you know? okay, so that's the. I think it's great if you create something that people like, you know, and that can take the form of of say you write a song and and maybe somebody records it, and it becomes a hit. But I mean, even if that doesn't happen, if you reach one person. You know, mm-hmm. if you're sitting there across a room or, or a, a whatever it is, a, a house concert or something or, or somebody's backyard and you get somebody to, to smile or laugh or nod and go, oh, yeah, that's what happened to me. You've done it. Have you done that? Yeah, that's all it is. And, and you can magnify that a million times by a million people or it can be one person. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's good. Yeah. Either way, you know. If you're playing in a fern bar and you can get people to stop clinking their dishes, you're God mm-hmm. at that. But that's my version of of you have climbed the mountain. If you're playing your sensitive ballad at a writer's night and people shut the hell up mm-hmm. for five seconds, right. you're amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, you know... 80,000 people in the stadium. If you can keep that guy from running that espresso machine and going <laughs> in the middle of your song, if he thinks enough of your song to wait before he goes and kills the vibe on your song, then you've arrived, man. You know, And from there, you can extrapolate and go, well, I want to do Bonnaroo or whatever. All Bonnaroo is 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 a hundred thousand people waiting to turn on their espresso <laughs> machines, and, and, you know, in, in a way, or you yeah. know, take that last mushroom and and uh, you know, explode their brain or whatever. <laughs> you know.
again. I stopped living for yesterday when dreams began punctuating life. What I find happens with the thing about living for yesterday is it's kind of an unintentional thing, at least with me. I mean, some people really dwell on it and like, oh, I can't do it because whatever. I, I find more the effects of what of what you've built into your life, your patterns, just the what's been ingrained in your consciousness, just from your experiences, those make who you are going forward. And so, you, sometimes, no matter what you try, you can't get away from those. And it really... It really does affect things. I know that in a lot of ways, my self-esteem, you know, has taken a beating because a lot of things have happened in the past. And I've gotten better over the years, but it's still hard for me to, you know, just kind of be really self-confident on a lot of things. You know, I, I mentioned about going to a, a high school where I was kind of an outcast. So, you know, I've never seen myself as like being able to, you know, fit in with a lot of people or being a real popular guy, you likable, you know, not the kind of guy that can go up and talk to a, a, an attractive woman or whatever. And mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times pursuing dreams, whether it's something like that or trying to make a success at a, you know, like a job or a, a project. If you've been received poorly, I think it's harder to pursue your dreams. And um, you're trying to live by that quote. You can say that, but I, I think it's really tough to escape for what the past has made you. Do you um, feel like you've escaped it a little bit? Oh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I am certainly have more self-esteem than I did in high school. A dream is nothing but a dream if all you're doing is thinking about it. If you really are going to punctuate your life with a dream, well, either you're, either you're living in la-la land because that's all you're doing is dreaming, or if you're going to use that as a positive way and move forward, then you've got to set goals and objectives to obtain obtain mm-hmm. those dreams. So you've got to you've really got to put a plan in place. I think with me what it's helped me do is define my limits and know how to maximize myself within those things. Again, I stopped living for yesterday when dreams began punctuating life. Growing up I I never had goals. They are more recent um, phenomenon. For really? Me. Yeah. I'd say in the last five years, maybe five, six years. To me, goal was always a dirty word in my house. Really? I mean, not because my parents were like, oh, you, sh- you shouldn't have goals. I think because they wanted me to have goals, they wanted me to live up to my potential, blah, uh-huh. blah, blah, all those things that parents really want for you. And I hate that they were right, but I didn't know how to apply myself because I didn't understand that I needed something to apply myself to. I didn't have aspirations. You've accomplished a lot, I think, for a person who doesn't have any goals. Yeah, so does it matter if you have goals? If you're still going <laughs> to... Apparently not. I mean, you're still going forward through time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you complete things, and obviously you would have to set, like, when you set out to do something, you have a kind of idea, well, this is going to be completed at some point. Is that not a goal? I also don't agree with that statement. Okay, sure. Take, yeah. that, take that on. I mean, there are things like, I'm going to start doing the dishes, and eventually I hope I'm done doing the dishes. There, okay. There, there are chores like that where you go... Yeah. Now you shoot high in life. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, when I start a piece of work, I have no idea. I don't have a, a vision, usually. And so that actually allows the, the work to feed itself. Uh-huh. Like, you get it rolling, and eventually the momentum... Well, you know, you put the energy into it, and sometimes you get it back out, and sometimes you don't. Well, if I found out I had six months to live, first of all, I would not punish myself for not having done, you know, those big things yet, because there's almost something very zen about saying, yeah, I could die tomorrow. I still have to wash my dishes. Right. You know, like, that's still part of life. And 
if you can't take joy or respite or a moment, you know, during your daily activities, I think when we start to live from high moment to high moment, from dream to dream, we lose the, there is a joy in the mundane. And I know I keep coming back to dishes, but you know, there was a time where, where I would actually go, hey, here's something that's really dirty. And within moments, I can make it clean. Isn't that the magic of soap and water and uh-huh. a little elbow grease? And thinking that we need to achieve or attain for happiness is sort of fickle. It sounds a little bit that you live your life like according to the Tao, where you kind of go with the flow. I, I like it. And you know what? The flow has taken me to some pretty incredible yeah. places. Yeah, and you have a quote-unquote, accomplishing things, some goals. Or, or right. well, maybe they weren't goals, but we have yeah. accomplished something. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, making goals is new to me, and, mm-hmm. and you know, everybody says that you need to write them down, and then you can mm-hmm. achieve them. For me, writing them down or vocalizing them, even to myself, huh? was really tricky because it meant that I wanted something, and it meant that I wanted something that I didn't have and I was going to have to work hard for, mm-hmm. and what happens if I didn't get it or worse what happens Mm. if I did get it (laughs) and what do you do when you achieve your dreams right like you have to make more and that seems kind of goofy and last quote free speech that's what I'm talking about there's a storm coming trying to shut our mouths as a writer that means a lot because I think you're always feeling like you're censored, especially in today's society because... So it's not just me, it's changed. No, it has changed in a big way because I think people are so ready to take offense and take sides and be bipartisan. And I know that I censor myself a lot, which freaks me out because I thought I was all about expressing everything. But now, especially in social media, I find that I do not express what I truly feel because I know that there are people out there that I really care about that will be completely alienated and that may totally mark me out of their lives. Do you ever find that, I hate to say it this way, but those folks that that we love and are so easily offended don't seem to be concerned about offending other people? A lot of times, yeah. Yeah. I mean... And I wonder, like, should I not care? I mean... Because I, I see stuff they put, sometimes some I don't agree with, but I don't get offended. Because I just feel like, well, that's what makes them them, and I accept them as they are. Well, I think there are always going to be people that naturally have their backs up. And I think no matter what side of an issue that you are on, there are going to be those people in those camps that are waiting to be offended. Uh, I didn't I, see that a lot, you know, maybe 20 years ago. Right. Well, we didn't have social media for one Well, that's true. But my worry is, again, having lived in a country where you can't say what you want to say and, I, and uh, that the bullies are kind of winning and I don't when I say bullies I don't mean like mean horrible people but just the ones that are the strongest okay. and the ones that are the most vocal yeah because there is a silent majority so to speak or si- people are just silent they do have opinions but you'll never know because they're like eh, I don't want right. to fight or I don't want to make people cry or or I don't want to lose my job right you know and I have to be careful about that I think everybody has to be careful about that but as a former journalist, you come to know really, really quickly that there are the rabid vocal folks 
that will show up at every public meeting, at every public hearing, that yeah. will grab the mics, that will... What do they do for livings? I Sometimes I wondered, because they'd always be there. Yeah. So they're the folks that get the ink. They're the folks that get the airtime. Yeah. And then there's, the, like you said, the silent majority that's out there screaming, no, but yeah. you can't hear them. Right. Um, and that's, that's frustrating. But at the same time, I think the silent majority has gotten even more silent because you're so afraid mm-hmm. to offend. Back to these people that show up to all the meetings. I kind of jokingly said, what do they do for a living? But I have heard, and in fact some of this is documented, like some of them, are, that's their profession. Right, they are. And they, they're part of a community group or, right. or something like that. And in fact, recently, I guess it came out about Ferguson, that a lot of people, the protesters, were actually being paid to be there. They were bust in, and how it came out was they didn't get paid, and they were promised money, and they were like, hey man, where's our money? Right. Which makes you think like, so what are we actually seeing when these things happen? Right. You know, what's real and what's been orchestrated, you know? I think it, it should be our job as conscientious conscientious consumers of what's out there in the world to look for many different outlets for information and rarely do we do that. It takes too much time. It does take a lot of time. <laughs> and I'd rather look at memes of cats. My ex-husband used to laugh at me because I would literally watch every broadcast news station and read you know three or four newspapers about the same thing? It's, it's yes. fun. It, re- it really is fun. Because there were, for one event, mm-hmm. there were, like you said, five different versions of what happened, right. quote unquote, happened. And he didn't understand that for the yeah. longest time. But I'm like, I am, I would tell him, I'm looking for the truth. And it's somewhere in between all of these opinions. Yeah. And they are opinions. I mean, any, even what's printed on the news page yeah. is somebody's perspective. I don't think we can help it. I mean, we, it's I mean, you, as much as you try to be unbiased, right. you're going to have some take on it. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate debates, I think, more now or yeah. when you have two different guys who don't agree, you at least you'll, something will kind of like shake out, you feel. As long as it's healthy. Well, yeah, they're not calling names. Or, Unfortunately, I think a lot of debates, what you would like to have as a debate turns into just this debacle and people are angry and offended and they unfriend you and you know that craziness you think about like if someone's gonna be that petty we're we're really that close anyway right and i still miss them for their the things that i did like about them but i've I've had some folks say to me on social media well i thought i knew you well okay maybe you didn't know me (laughs) or maybe you chose not to know me but this is who i am and Mm -hmm. this is what i feel and this is what i think Mm -hmm. um and it's not my fault that you feel like you didn't know me Again. Free speech, that's what I'm talking about. There's a storm coming trying to shut our mouths. If you would not mind, I want to share one accident happened in my church. Okay. You know, my preacher, she is a very sensitive person to Chinese government and herself was controlled by the secret police. And uh, two weeks ago, she has a student and her student wants to use a computer to do something. Her student's computer left home, so uh, the students borrowed my preacher's computer to, to use the computer. He has to 
use the USB to show the video. Mm -hmm. uh, but the preacher never used the computer's USB before to show the video. And uh, when the preacher's student see the USB, he found there's something wrong in the USB window hugged by the government because in my church, there's a believer and she was a government officer, a spy. Wow. She steal a lot of information. But my preacher didn't know that she was a spy almost one or two years ago. So my preacher let they to help her to help the preacher to help uh, to buy a computer online and they spy bought a computer for her. But my preacher when she got the computer he found because the package almost opened, just only a naked computer. So the, my preacher think it's not safe. So she gave that computer to others. So my preacher let another sister bought a new computer online. Mm -hmm. And that's the computer he bought. I think, and also the preacher think, the online shopping website and the government, they got together to make a certain computer for her. Wow. In China, I think it's the free speech environment is, is becoming worse and worse. Right. So for me, I never put my words or photos on the online mm. website That's, because I know that. Yeah. Uh, even though I want free speech, there's a saying, if they criticize it's not free, the praising is meaningless. Is that a Chinese phrase? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Have you heard about this, this no, phrase? No, but I like it. That's why I ask. I love this phrase because in China we have this situation. Every day the media is praising, praising, praising the government, what they do. But we have no freedom to criticize. So the praising is meaningless. I still remember when I was living there and you told me the Chinese news was the first 10 minutes reported about yeah. how hard the Chinese government was working for the people and the next 10 yeah. minutes was how happy the Chinese people were and the last 10 minutes was how miserable the rest of the world was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the free speech phenomenon is, is becoming worse even in the world. I know how what happened in America. That was Snowden, of course, and uh, there's another yeah. reporter. Uh, I want to say a Atkinson is her name. I think Cheryl Atkinson. It, she wrote a book about how her computer would come on in the middle of the night by itself. She had a computer person look at it, and they said there was all kinds of secret files that were put on it, and they couldn't open them. They didn't know what they were. And on the side of the house, they found little wires that were like broadcasting wires. She's still never figured out who did it, but someone said it had to have been the government because nobody else would have that technology. She's one of them investigating the Benghazi scandal. Again, free speech, that's what I'm talking about. There's a storm coming trying to shut our mouths. That sounds like uh, a poster slogan for the 60s mm -hmm. revolution. Now it's 
the most intolerant people that I've ever met are the ones that preach to be the most tolerant because they're completely tolerant of everything as long as it's not something they dictate as being intolerant. It, which, I know, I, I've tried to wrap my head around this forever, and I, I've had at-length conversations with people that I truly care about and think are great humans, but at the same time, they have a completely different mindset from me. They think that their view of intolerance makes me intolerant, but they can't wrap their head around the fact that they're being intolerant of anything that I'm not tolerant of. And Pick, pick one issue. To give an example, I'll go with gay marriage. Okay. You know, for up until just a few years ago, I, I supported it. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I, 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 it was, I wouldn't say I supported. I just didn't care. Mm -hmm. I wasn't against it. Mm -hmm. um, and at, you know, at the point where I am now, you know, I've seen a, a pair of friends of mine a few years back. You know, it was a heterosexual couple. They've been married for about three years. And granted, I didn't know at the time that they had gotten married primarily for insurance. I mean, they were in love. They had lived together for years. They just got married so somebody could be on the other one's insurance. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I look at something like that and I see the way their marriage fell apart because of uh, adultery on both sides. Mm -hmm. and, um, and basically, they just decided to give up because they didn't care about each other anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was more of a, I think I've heard people put in their wedding vows as the we promise to love and cherish each other as long as our love will last, not until death really? is part. Yeah. Cool. And uh, so that's, I think that started to become a norm in some... Um, wow, I, I haven't heard that. But. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. And I, I've heard it in multiple places just over the last few years. And it's something that... Uh, <laughs> My wife would have killed me if I said something like, <laughs> and I promise to stay with you as, as, long, long, as, as, I I feel, as long as I yeah. feel like it. You know? I think the, the original question was just on, you know, telling you to shut your mouth, there's a revolution coming mm -hmm. within intolerance. If I, for whatever reasons, be they personal, mm -hmm. political, religious decide to have an opinion that would be listed as intolerant, like we'll take, you know, again, say gay marriage, say I'm, I'm against that. I, I don't think it should be allowed. Being in the sense that there's no way that you can uh, dictate how, you know, two people can love each other, two people can be together. But when you come against the institution of marriage or um, trying to make it something that if because it's religious, generally marriage. I would say generally it is. I mean, yeah, there's there's plenty. Of my parents they got married in a in a courthouse. They didn't get married by a preacher. Mm -hmm. But um, my personal view of marriage is that you know it was it was created by God and it was created as a man and a woman to live together as one. So let me play devil's advocate. Sure. Are you tolerant of someone who does believe in gay marriage? That those views. I am. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's so you're not going to boycott them or, or shout them out or try to get them fired. No, no, I'm not at all. Okay, well, good. Um, you're, so you're consistent. The friend, the couple I was just speaking of, uh -huh. the female version of that is the one that works for me now. I, I hire oh, okay. her, and I'll just lay it out because mm -hmm. I really don't think she'll ever hear this, and we'll just try to keep my name out of any Google links that might get attached to it. You're anonymous. But, okay. Unless there's some kind of voice recognition. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. control. Uh, the NSA is always somewhere. Yeah. They're probably in your recorder right yeah. now. Hello, uh, NSA. Yeah, no. <laughs> How you doing? Right. We're both naked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they could probably see that because they had that little ping. That's you know, true. That does, like from yeah. Batman. Well, you've got your iPad right there. It's got a camera, man. Oh, dang it. It's, it's right on me. Yeah, yeah, it's right. It's right on my junk. Oh, man. <laughs> now they know how small I am. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, anyways. Well, the, the, what tore that marriage apart was that she had homosexual tendencies. She had a relationship with another woman. She decided to bring that other woman into the relationship with her husband. 
the husband fell for the new girl and kicked the wife to the curb. That's how it all fell apart. Are they still together? No, and she dumped him like eight months later and he ran back home to Knoxville to live with his mom. She, I, I would assume from her lifestyle, she would be very pro-gay marriage. Mm -hmm. We're gonna say, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to help her get her life on track where mm -hmm. she can make a good living, have a house, have a future, and have whatever family she decides to have. So you, even I, even if she marries a, a lady, you're still gonna employ her as long as she does her job? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It, again, you know, they, people get so entrenched to where they think if somebody disagrees with them or in their view is intolerant of something, they think that you know anybody that sees somebody that's against gay marriage mm -hmm. must hate gay people. Mm -hmm. I don't. In high school, I was the co-chair of the Gay Straight Alliance. Mm -hmm. I was the only straight person in the entire club because they couldn't call it the Gay Straight Alliance if there wasn't a straight person. <laughs> you were the, the token club. straight guy? I was the token straight guy. Wow. They're good people. They're human beings just like anybody. Right. Even the most religious person you ever meet in the world, if they tell you they don't sin, mm -hmm. they're lying to you. And they're mm -hmm. sinning to you when they tell that to your face. <laughs>
And there's other groups. There's a ton of other groups that have. Right. But if you say, okay, we can't say anything about that, doesn't that kind of hurt that group in the end because, you know, they're not hearing legitimate criticisms or things that could actually help them be better? Oh, I think you should. I mean, I think we should be able to. The thing about it is we got to the point now, if you say this, you get in trouble. You say that, you get in trouble. Like, well, 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 Dad, what can I say? Yeah, and who's deciding this? I'm going to tell you who said that. It's like you have all these different groups and associations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And if I was to bark up that tree of saying some things I shouldn't say, but then those organizations will come, they would come after me. Mm-hmm. They really would come after me. And they were like, oh, you said this, this is not right. You know, he shouldn't work anywhere, you know, because that's wrong. And don't you think that creates more resentment towards those groups? That maybe of you... course it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just ends up hurting themselves in the end. Right. Yeah. I think we're putting too much on a, on a stage now mm-hmm. and trying to make it into like, I don't want no woman in the bathroom. And I definitely don't want to go in the bathroom with a woman. Hell no. The things they do in the band, they make noise louder than we do. Let's just put this out here. If Batman and the Joker was in a long-time relationship, long-time relationship, yeah. they put their cape, put his cape away at night, he took off his war makeup and stuff like that, his green and purple suit, and they just frolic around. And that's what they did, you know? If that's what they did, and then for some apparent reason, the Joker died. Now, if they've been together all that time and Batman visited Joker to the hospital, he went to the hospital, he cried and he rubbed his back and his feet and he died and stuff. Then, therefore, yeah, you should, you know, be entitled to get, you know, the Joker's compensation. If the Joker didn't have no other family. You mean get his furniture? Get his furniture, (laughs) you know. It's certain secrets to the to the White House, how he broke in and stole Obama's wave cream, you know. <laughs> Let him have it. Watch that person. said, no. That is his next of kin. He was under Batman's cape all those years. <laughs> Let him have it. And I want to bet you, I'm going to tell you this truth. If we gave them, let them do what they want to do, and let them feel free to do their own stuff, they wouldn't be having those crazy-ass parades all the time. And that's some attention-seeking stuff. And the source of the quotes are all from the same mind, poet and magazine publisher Katowski, or as his parents named him, Robert Olson. This is one instance where I could ask the source of the quotes exactly what he was talking about. So I asked Katalski about a year ago, not only to expound on his words, but to also read the entire poems our quotes come from today. Words. They fly through the air. Ones that find not an ear fall to the ground. They die in despair. More plainly spoken, a statement, this matter of fact, not wanting to listen, caught and thrown forcibly back. Speak them to me up here, at some level above my inner child, where words find reason with understanding. There was a boundary found, like not when pushed, even more so by the pusher. Words, they can be a weapon, but silence is mass destruction. Okay, words was sparked from something that I have later called post-argument apocrypha which I use the Apocrypha from my 
Catholic upbringing mm-hmm. because the Catholic Bible has the Book of Apocrypha. And if anybody's never read it, I encourage you to read it. There's some fantastic stories in there. I know, I love that part. Like the, was it Bell and the Dragon? Yeah. Uh, Judith, but the woman who uh, dolls herself up and ends up cutting the king's head off. Right. Uh, who's yeah. trying to hurt the people. There's and, some great stuff right it, there. It's entertaining. It's yeah, it's maybe not as uh, truthful, but who knows? Yeah, and that's what the, why I call this post-argument apocrypha, because it's maybe not true. There are things written in anger hurt mm-hmm. that you may not feel later, but make something good in the process. Mm-hmm. And so words is a, is a post-argument thing where... People don't. When you get in an argument, they, no one cares for what the other person thinks, feels, or wants to say. And that's why the words fall to the ground or they're caught and thrown forcibly back. Because like in an argument, people will take your words and throw them back at you. Mm-hmm. And then you may not like that. Mm-hmm. And so that that is what that is. It's just an after-argument writing. I think it's everybody's biggest point of anger is when they're trying to explain how they feel uh, or what their opinion is and someone doesn't listen and yet they interrupt and so you never get back to what you were trying to to say how you feel and that's when the words just fall to the ground and they die right there because it's like they've hit the force field and they fall Mm -hmm. down and they're done Mm -hmm. and you never get to go back to that and then after everything's calmed down and you try to go back to it no one still wants to listen Mm -hmm. and that's the problem that i see with global humanity is that nobody wants to listen Mm -hmm. and you know i make a statement um when people ask me i have a poem about it Uh but i have in, in that poem is my statement as to why i write Mm -hmm. and it's because paper listens. Punctuating life. I can't keep my feet on the ground. No, I can't keep my feet on the ground. You see, I'm dreaming away every night and every day. It's in my heart and in my soul, through my core and in my bones. I've stopped living for yesterday, when dreams began punctuating life. The past is the past, which haunts me in a way that inspires the future. I can't keep my feet on the ground. No, I can't. You see, I'm dreaming away every night and every day. And in these dreams are found exclamation, answering a question bound in quotations. The comma delineates pause for inhale and exhalation breathing in fresh new life, period. I see it here and there, all around me, surrounded by bright and shining faces, eyes glowing and heart fire of those who found the punctuation. I can't keep my feet on the ground. No, I can't keep my feet on the ground. You see, I'm dreaming away every night and every day. The future, the future, is now the future is today. It may not always be bright, until you learn to turn on the light by punctuating life. When I first started writing Punctuating Life, it was after I wrote the book of Anger and Truth, and there's a lot of anger and anger and truth. I kind of thought, maybe I should write something that's kind of a balance you know, let's be positive. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about all the things that 
are in, in life that uh, make an exclamation. And so I thought, hmm. And that's where it came in. I thought, uh, let's write something. I'm, I'm a writer who rarely uses punctuation. I used to live, just dwell in the past. And like a lot of, well, what if I had done this? Or what if I had done that? But I dream a lot of dreams, and I have a lot of dreams that can't come true in the past. And so I just kind of pull myself out of living in and dwelling in the past and the certain bad things that have happened in my life um, when dreams that came in sleep or my own personal goals, which are my dreams, started to show me that, you know, my life could change and move in a different direction to where I wanted it to go if I just quit the past, quit just living in it. It's always going to be there, mm-hmm. but if I make my home in it, then I'm never going to move ahead. Right. So, like, you don't want the past to define you? Yeah, I mean, it, it defines me enough, mm-hmm. but it should define me enough just to propel me forward. Mm-hmm. First Amendment. Free speech, that's what I'm talking about. There's a storm coming, trying to shut our mouth. Watch out for the men in black. Cross the line, they attack. Pushing back our freedom one fence panel at a time. It's a juxtaposition, standing in opposition of an administration gone wild. This is not racist, there is no ism. One voice, then four score more before a cloud of cataclysm knocks down the door. Speak up, wake up, now shout. Do you understand what's about to take place? It's all about freedom, not at all about race. Standing with my sisters, standing with my brothers, blind in one eye and I don't see colors. This has nothing to do with the color of anyone's skin, but has everything to do with the content within. It's almost impossible to sleep most nights while this administration treads the Constitution and burns our Bill of Rights. How long do you think free speech will last while we the people sit on our hands instead of getting off our ass? These rights came with no guarantee, except for the second one, in the advent of tyranny. Free speech is something to cherish. Don't let it fade away due to the content of someone's character. supporter of the First Amendment. and um, Well, let's talk about that because you would think in America that wouldn't be a problem, but it has become a problem of late. Well, it's true. I, I kind of, it's almost laughable to me because people use the First Amendment to bash other people who are supporting the First Amendment. So to me, that's kind of a living oxymoron. And that's what makes it laughable to me, because it's like, if everyone just stop and just look at yourself, look at everybody around you, we're all just people. Aside from that, then you look at politics. And we'll try not to get too far into politics and, and my disdain for it, but it seems that the government would just assume that we didn't have the right of free speech. Sure. Yeah, we didn't. No power like free speech. Right. And so in that piece is about how the government's trying to take it away. Or the fact that you can't say anything about the president on federal property where he's actually, when he's there. 
Yeah, that's interesting because it actually came up, I think it was last week, where he was speaking at a some kind of gay rights thing, and I believe it was a transgender illegal alien protester. Yeah, it was at the White House, and he called it his house, which actually is the people's house, yeah, and that's, then he had him removed. Yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. It's, I, I can understand that they were disrupting and you know throwing chairs or something, but... Right. But you would think from his background he'd be championing people like that, but I think uh, that it's kind of like do as I say and not as I do, or question authority until I'm in power. That, that's a common problem on both sides of the aisle, I think. Yeah, you're right, and I agree. That's kind of what I was hitting at mm-hmm. with the uh, the free speech. And then I added in some things about racism, yeah. because that's what I'm saying, that we all bleed the same color. Why did you bring that up? I mean, obviously that's from something specific, right? Yeah, it's back when I wrote that, there was this rise and cry out of hatred versus hatred, and it's like... Any little thing that you say against the current administration is racism. Mm. And so they're trying to redefine what racism is, and that's not its definition. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, obviously it's just a political tool. Right. I find it amusing because now you find people even in his own party criticizing him, like Elizabeth Warren and some other folks. I think, well, so I guess she's a racist. You know, that's kind of what I want to say out of spite because that was levied against anybody who had any kind of criticism of him. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it makes me think, where is this really, the country really going to? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how come certain things are happening again? Mm -hmm. It's like we don't learn from history. And it's something that I know I'm a broken record about, but... Again, having lived in countries where they had similar tactics, you know, where if someone criticized the government, either they were unpatriotic or they were, you know, a spy for the CIA or what's sad is it ends up obviously not good for the country, but also not good for the people that they're criticizing because criticism is is really a wonderful thing as long as it's done not hatefully or... I'm sure at some point that I'm going to have haters for what I publish in my magazine. Mm-hmm. I feel that storm coming. Right. Maybe you can use it to, to better your magazine. Well, true. If you'd like to check out more works by Katalski, you can either look him up on Facebook, which his name is spelled K-A-T-O-V-S-K-I, or check out Poetic Linguist. WordPress.com, and/or you could check out in the corner back by the woodpile podcasts number three or number thirty-five, both featuring Katalski, both reading and explaining other works. In the corner back by the woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy, and if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner Back with the Woodpile. Go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. Mm-hmm.